Make sure we're recording here. Welcome back to Partial Perspectives for today. Our opportunity to examine that week's Torah portion. You know, each Parsha is not a coincidence. We read it that week. Everything is by design. Everything is orchestrated from above, and the lessons contained within each Parsha are timely for what is going on in the world that week, what is going on in our lives. I want to thank our generous sponsors for the year. Dear friends, Becky and Avi Katz and family, loving memory of Becky's father, David Grossman. Le'i Lunishmas, David Ben Menachem Monash. This morning's Parsha Shir is also sponsored in particular by the Agus and Fox families, two families I've known for a long time and well, wonderful friends, commemorating the upcoming six-year-old site of a very special man, Dr. Saul Agus, Shol Gershon Ben Chaim, Shmuel V'itachaya, Neshama Shalav and Aliyah. Thank you to the Agus and Fox families. If you'd like to sponsor a future Parsha class or any class, Please email Lee, L-E-E, at brsonline.org. Lee, L-E-E, at brsonline.org. Okay, this week we have the privilege and pleasure of studying two parshios. This week we will be reading Tazria and Mitzorah. If you love the topic of Tzaras, you get not a single, but a double helping of the sugya, of the story, of the lessons, of the laws, of Tzaras, of spiritual leprosy. We begin Tazria, page 608 in the Art Scroll, Stone Chumash. The Torah tells us, Daber Shem HaMoshe Leimor, Daber Ben Yisrael Leimor, Isha Ki Tazria, V'yalda Zachar. V'tama Shibaz Yamim Kimeni Daz Devosa, Titma. We talk about a woman who conceives, Isha Ki Tazria, V'yalda Zachar. And she gives birth to a baby boy. So the law is that she is considered impure for seven days. On the eighth day, Yom Hashmini, Yimol Besor Or Laso. The eighth day we know is the baby's bris. On the eighth day, Isha Kisazri. If a woman becomes pregnant, we poskim learn from here the halacha, the chazal derived from here, Isha Kisazriya. That if a woman becomes uh, pregnant, Kisazriya means in a normal vialda she gives birth in a normal natural sense. If the baby comes out C-section, cesarean section, that's not called vialda zachar. That's a surgical procedure to remove the baby rather than a natural birth of the baby. And therefore, when is it So when is it on the eighth day that one does a bris and it supersedes the laws of Shabbos? If the eighth day falls out on Shabbos, that the bris override supersedes Shabbos, even though implicit included in a bris is a violation of Shabbos, that's if it's a natural birth. That's if v'yolda zachar, if it's natural. However, C-section, it's not natural. It's obviously still a birth. We're grateful for the blessing, but that would not supersede the laws of Shabbos. The question is, ki sazria. What about on the other side? What about not the way the baby comes out, but the way the baby is conceived? Let's say it's not ki sazria naturally, but let's say it's through the miracle of science for which we are so grateful. A supernatural conception, what we call IVF, IUI. What would be the halacha? So, Rav Asher Weiss, Mori Varabi, and Azmin Chasasher, as a tshuva, others talk about Perhaps a baby born through IVF, whose uh, bris is scheduled on Shabbos, also would not supersede Shabbos. Just like Vyalda has to be Vyalda naturally, and not through any other means, perhaps Kisazria has to be a conception which is natural, and not through any other means. A fascinating halachic discussion. But Ubayyam Ashmini, on the eighth day, Yimol Besor Laso, the baby's bris takes place on the eighth day. The Gemara Nida tells us, on Daf Lamed Aleph Amid Beis, why is the baby's breath on the, bris on the eighth day? If we assume that in fact, indeed, the baby was born with extra skin, with a tag, like the tailor who crafts a suit, who leaves the final stitching, the final thread, the pocket, to be opened by the consumer, by the customer, the Rebona the Almighty enabled conception, gestation, the development of this beautiful child, but he leaves on a little skin, he leaves on the tag, and we are invited to be his partner to cut it off, which is the essence of bris. We spoke about this back in Sefer Shmos, in the notion of the two dam, we just spoke about this on Pesach, the idea of the dam mila and the dam Pesach both include blood, bidamayich chayi, with the two bloods, the blood of mila and the blood of Pesach, what do they have in common? In both, God invites us to be his partner. Kaddish Baruch Hu does, why didn't he just create man? Mahul, gemalt. If a Kaddish Baruch Hu wants men to not have a foreskin, it's very simple. He's the omnipotent, infinite, almighty. He's the all-powerful, all-controlling, all-knowing. Simply make human men, make human beings be born without a foreskin. Why does he require us to do it? An intervention on a child, which ostensibly seems uh, cruel, lacks compassion. Why didn't he just make us born that way? And the answer is, much like the 
Geula, the redemption of Pesach. We can't sit back and be passive spectators. We got to get in the game. Shem wants us to be a partner. He wants us to be involved. We don't simply watch as observers. So similarly, when it comes to the notion of a bris milah, Hashem says, you're not born finished. You're not born complete. But rather, if you go back to the Medrash, Nasa Adam B'Tzalmenu. Go back to the creation of the world when Hashem uses the plural, Na'ase Adam. He doesn't say, I will make man. He says, let us make man. And Rashi famously says he consulted the angels, even though he didn't need to. He's the infinite omnipotent one because he taught us an important lesson. No matter how great someone is, we should consult those around us. We should not act like a dictator. We should not act arrogantly like we have all the answers. But we work in committee, in consultation. We are enriched when we ask others, Na'aseh, let us make man. But the Ramban quotes a medrash. The Na'aseh means Hashem was turning to man himself, to us. And he said, you're not a finished product. You don't come out complete. You're not done. Be my partner. Live your life a way in which you are growing, developing, evolving, improving. Live your life in a way that you are still creating and recreating yourself on a regular basis. It's never too late. Today's Rosh Chodesh Iyar. Every Rosh Chodesh, each and every day, every new week, every Sunday is a Yom Rishon. It is the first day, the beginning of the week. We constantly are invited to be His partner, and we constantly are invited to create and recreate ourselves on a regular basis. We're not done, we're not complete, it's not over. That is the notion of a bris milah. So the question then begs itself, why the eighth day wonders the Gemara Nida? So why not the first day? Baby's born, punk, they come out crying. While they're crying already, quick, grab the scalpel, quick. Grab the mug and the shield. Cut off the foreskin. The baby comes out screaming, crying. Baruch Hashem. A sign and indication of healthy lungs. And uh, that's a good sign. So while they're crying already, cut off the foreskin. Cut off the orla then. Why do we wait till the eighth day to have to revisit pain and revisit the tears and the crying of the baby again? So the Gemara answers, So that everyone around is not happy. Everyone's getting bagels and locks and cream cheese. Everyone's getting, if they fancy, an omelet station and some hash browns. Everyone's excited to be at the bris, but the mother and the father themselves are somewhat down. Now, why would they be depressed and down? So there's a lot of interpretations. Some assume because if it were before the eighth day, then she would be a nida. The husband and wife would not be able to show affection, to have intimacy, to express love to one another. And therefore, they would be saddened by that. Everybody else would be happy, but they would be within that first week when she still had the status of nida. They would be sad. Therefore, we wait till the eighth day. We're technically, biblically, after seven days, nida is over. We today are strict to treat each nida like a zava, and we require seven clean days, which a woman who's given birth does not get by the eighth day. But in biblical law and in biblical times, by the eighth day, she'd not be a nida, therefore she'd be happy. That's the reason of the Gemara. However, many other reasons are offered as well. The Rambam. The Rambam is more in Avuchim, in Echele Gimel Perak Memtes. The Rambam in his Guide to the Perplex gives himself another answer. And he says, the reason to simply understand why is the bris on the eighth day? Because when a baby is born, when a newborn enters this world, they are still transitioning, they are still emerging, they're still exiting the womb. They are still re-entering or entering the world and adjusting to this new environment, to the air and the oxygen, to a new form of nourishment. And it takes seven days to adjust. Says the Rambam, this is not a uniquely human attribute or quality. Animals as well. For the first week you will see animals and human beings, they will be inseparable from their mother. Why? Because it's ki'ilu, it is as if they're still in the womb. It's as if they're still attached by the umbilical cord. Today, you know, they could be teenagers or in their early 20s and they're still attached as if with an umbilical cord. But anyway, at least for seven days, at least in the first week, they act as if they're still attached by an umbilical cord, as if they're still connected. So the bris is only on the eighth day, writes the Rambam, because that's when the child begins to form some level of an independent identity. Still not changing their own diapers, still need to be fed, still waking up in the middle of the night, but at least they are beginning to enter this world and understand they are in a different environment, they are no longer in utero. Mavur she'ish lahamten, at she'ish chazek kocha 
Sort of Druk understands, and his Eish Tomid, the Rambam, Mor Nebuchadnezzar is saying, the baby is not strong enough. The baby is not ready to endure the bris until the eighth day, until they have adjusted to their new habitat. But still, why eight days? Because that becomes the universal mark. Animals, it takes until the eighth day to develop some independent identity, and therefore the Rambam, human beings as well. Tam knows of Matsina Bemedrish. There's another reason brought down in the Medrash by Yikar Rabba. Pasuk says, If all these animals, an ox or a sheep or a goat is born, Seven days it lives under its mother. It's only eligible to be offered as a sacrifice on the eighth day and on. The first week it's not. And Chazal teach, based on this, the Medrash tells us, said, this animal should not be brought or offered to me until the animal has lived through a Shabbos. Ein zayin yamin below Shabbos. Because you cannot go a week, obviously, without encountering a Shabbos. Ve'ein mila below Shabbos. And therefore, the reason the bris is on the eighth day, the Medrash says, is because this baby is not ready to enter the covenant of Avram. The baby is not ready to enter the covenant with Hashem, to enter the bris, until the baby's experienced a Shabbos. It's part of the origin of a Shalom Zachar as well. Most of our Medrash, the Medrash adds, Amar B'Yitzchak, Mishpat Adam, Mishpat Behema Shavim, Mishpat Adam, Oviyam HaShemini, Yimol Beso, Or Laso, O Mishpat Behema, Oviyam HaShemini, Vahala, Yei Ratzeh. So the Medrash further says, Rabbi Yitzchak teaches, a human being is likened to the animal. The animal cannot be offered or brought close as a korban until first experiencing a Shabbos. The human being cannot be brought close or enter the covenant of a bris until experiencing a Shabbos. So the question, though, is still why? Why is it that you need to experience Shabbos? What is it about Shabbos? So based on this, Rav Druk suggests, now we can further understand, better understand what the Rambam was talking about, why the eighth day, that the baby will be stronger on the eighth day. What will make the baby stronger on the eighth day than the previous seven? The fact that the baby's experienced a Shabbos. This is why we're here. Shabbos is tachlis lamasa bereshis. We don't live through Shabbos to rest up and rejuvenate in order to get back to the rest of the week. We live through the week in order to arrive at Shabbos. Shabbos is not a break and a rest, so we have what it takes to get back to work because work is the tachlis, is the goal. No, it's the opposite. Shabbos is the goal to disconnect and reconnect to what matters, to be able to spend time with ourselves, with other people, with Hashem. Shabbos, in which we uh, reinvent who we are, we're at peace with nature around us. That's tachlas namasa barishas. That's why we're here. That's what life's all about. That's what gives us strength. It gives us courage. It gives us fortitude. It gives us faith. It helps us remember creation. It liberates us and it sets us free. And therefore... For a baby to have the strength, for the baby to have the koach, yischaze kocho, for the baby to have the koach to endure, not to survive, but to be able to recover from a bris, the baby is the strongest only after they have encountered, only after they have engaged, only after they have celebrated a Shabbos. So the reason we wait to eight days is not just so the blood can clot, not just so the baby is strong enough, the lungs have developed. We wait to the eighth day because the neshama needs to develop. And what strengthens or completes a neshama? Experiencing a Shabbos. And that's why specifically the eighth day. Now the Sefer HaChinach, the mitzvah of Mila, which is the second mitzvah, Sefer HaChinach, mitzvah Beis, the mitzvah of Mila. Sefer HaChinach writes, Mishar mitzvah zu, at the core, at the root of this mitzvah, Small letters, need the glasses. Levisharatza Shemizbarh Ligvoa Ba'ama Shirhivdil Lios Nikra Ashima Os Kavua Begufam. Because God wants us to be distinguished and distinguishable, not just in our behavior and our actions, but in our very essence in our body. Lahavdila Mishara Amen Bitsuras Gufam. For the body to have a mark, to have a tag, to have a distinguishing label. Kamoshe Muvdala Mehem Bitsuras Nafshosam. Just like our soul is different, 
either according to some because we are created differently, according to others because of the mitzvahs that we do, our conduct and our behavior is what distinguishes our soul, but our lifestyle and our soul is different. Similarly, our body should be different. Our uniform is different. Why specifically on this body part? Why specifically here? If you're going to make an os, you're going to make a sign, a symbol. If you're going to create a uniform for the Jew, for the male Jew, distinguishing from their non-Jewish counterpart, why there? And the answer is, this is the body part, this is the organ that best represents the ambition and the aspiration for Kedusha, for holiness. How many great people, smart people, genius people, talented people, accomplished people, because they could not control their urge, their appetite, their temptation, their desire. It controlled them, absolutely sabotaged their success, their life, their reputation. Kedusha's sanctity is in the most base mundane activities of our lives. Nowhere represented as Freud, a Jew, understood the id, the ego, the desire, the temptation. It drives man. And here I don't mean humanity, I mean man, the gender in particular, which is why this mitzvah is specifically given to him, because he is affected disproportionately by it. And therefore, it is specifically that organ in which we make the statement through the bris, that we enter a covenant, we make a pledge, we make a promise, that the most mundane, the most animalistic, the most base desire and drive, we will control it, it won't control us. We will elevate the experience through marriage, through intimacy, through procreation. We will not be lowered by it to create a corrupt, morally corrupt, decadent, licentious, lascivious society. And therefore, it is specifically that organ that is chosen for the sign, a sign not for others, but for ourselves. The story of David HaMelech, who in the mikvah, when he was naked and bereft of all other mitzvahs, looked down and remembered he still had one, one connected to his body, a sign for us to remember the responsibility of discipline, dignity, self-control, the responsibility that we live for holiness, not happiness or pleasure, the responsibility that Kedusha is achieved, where for the Rambam, he has 14 books, Yara Chazaka, and one of them is called Kedusha. One of the 14 volumes in the way the Rambam, Maimonides, categorizes Jewish law is Kedusha's holiness. And what appears there, the laws of Ma'achalos Asuros, the laws of how we diet and eat, and Hilchos Bia, the laws of interpersonal intimacy relations. Why are they in Kedusha? Because Kedusha is not about Yom Kippur, Shabbos, Akumzitz, spirituality. Rather, Kedusha holiness is found in the laws of intimacy and the laws of eating, the most base animal drives, that's where we find Kedusha. So Mavur B'Sefer HaChinach says, Rav Druk, The mission, the drive is to distinguish us. And So now here, listen to this insight of Rav Druk. Fantastic. The Gemar Yevamo says the following. Gemar Yevamo stuff, I test, I want to, a lot I want to cover, so I'm going to share this with you outside. Besides which, I'm reading way too fast and my father would criticize me. So I'll just tell it to you outside. The Gemara Yavamas Dafayin Test tells us that there are three simanim. There are three distinguishing signs of a Jew. The Jewish nation, the Jewish people, we have three signs, three behaviors that if you see it in us and among us, you know that it is a Jew. And what are they? We are Rachmanim, Baishanim, and Gomle Chasadim. Rachmanim, we have compassion. Rachmanim, we show Rachmanis, we have compassion. Someone's suffering, someone's struggling. We have compassion. By Shanim, we have a sense of shame. Not a debilitating negative shame, but a healthy dose of shame. A shame which is the nerve ending of the soul. That we blush when there's something worth blushing about. That we are ashamed when there is behavior or a thought or speech or we've done something that we should be ashamed of. And thirdly, that we are kind in action. That we volunteer, that we do, that we give. And the Gemara quotes three psukhim, psukim that show that we have these things. And therefore, Gemara concludes in Yevamas, If you show these three character traits, if one displays these three qualities, they deserve to be attached to, these, to the Jewish people. That's who we are. That's what we're made of. That's how we should be recognized, identified, thought of, admired, spoken about. That should be the reputation of a Jew. We are Rahmanam, we're kind and compassionate. We are Baishanam, we have a sense of shame, we have moral clarity, and we are Gomli Chasadam, we're givers and we're doers. So therefore, as Rav Druk, I don't understand. If those are the three distinguishing characteristics of who we are, how in the world do we take a child, 
on the eighth day, a newborn baby who has no autonomy, who has no voice to protest, who has no ability to say, I don't want surgery without anesthesia. I don't want to be naked and exposed in front of the entire community to watch me have a surgery with no anesthesia. I don't want to be naked from the waist down, sitting on my grandfather's lap, crying my eyes out. It's embarrassing, it's humiliating, and it's painful. Everything we're doing to this child directly violates what should be the three distinguishing characteristics of who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to be made of. What happened to Busha? And now we have a naked baby exposing the most private part. What happened to Rahmanim, kind and compassionate? And now we're causing and now we're causing pain. What's going on? What's going on over here? So says Nifla. You see from the fact that we have a sacred mitzvah, one of the most important mitzvahs, a mitzvah that defines a baby's relationship to being a full-fledged member of the Jewish people, not to being a Jew, but to being a full-fledged member. There are some mitzvahs that don't go against our nature, that don't go against our grain. There are mitzvahs that are natural for us to do. We're happy to do them. They're pleasurable, they're easy, they're satisfying, they're fulfilling, and they're wonderful. But do you know which are the highest level mitzvahs? Do you know which mean the most to Hashem? The ones that go against our nature. The ones in which we're asked to violate what comes naturally. Because nevertheless, we are committed and devoted to fulfill the will of Hashem. You see this, Rav Druk doesn't mention it, but you see this with the Avos. Each of the Avos are tested. They emerge who they are because they're willing to do not only what comes naturally as a strength, but they're willing to listen to Hashem when He says, jump, they say, how high? Even for the things that violate everything they believe in. Avram is the Ish Chesed. Avram is a man of loving kindness. And he's charged with a mission. Go and sacrifice your son. Yaakov is an Ish Emes. He's a man of truth. And he's told, go and deceive and lie to your father. Makes no sense unless you understand that how do you know whether you're being honest? How do you know whether you're being kind? How do you know whether you're keeping Shabbos? Because in fact, you're devoted and dedicated to God. Or maybe you're devoted and dedicated to yourself. Maybe your natural inclination is to be honest. Maybe your natural instinct is to be kind. Maybe you love disconnecting from technology and chapan a Shabbos shluft after a full belly of a delicious chalant. How do you ever know when it's for God? The answer is when we observe, when we perform the mitzvot he asks us to do that are not consistent with what we want, what we believe, what comes easily or naturally when we go against our grain. That's when we reveal and reflect on all that we do that it's all for Hashem. So specifically, how does a baby enter the covenant how do they do the bris of Milah? Not through Baishanam Gomle Chasadim and Rahmanim, but Davka specifically through an act which is a violation of all three. And now we can understand its greatness. The Psikta Zudrasa, the Medrash and Lechacha tells us, Amr Bishmal, Gedola Mila Shenichrasu Allah Shlosha Sarbrisos. Mila is so great that there are 13 covenants that were sealed through it. 13. We have only two positive commandments, that the one who abstains refrains from fulfilling it is violating prohibited with karis. This is how we sanctify, this is how we elevate, this is how we prove who we are and what we're made of, this is how we distinguish ourselves, and therefore it is so valuable, so meaningful to Hashem, even so much so that we go against our own grain. Okay, moving right along. There's a lot more to say about the notion of conception and the consequences and the carbonus that were offered after the fact. We spoke about it in previous years. The two birds that the Yoledes, that the woman who's given birth brings and why the two birds and their sense of loyalty to one another. A lot more you can listen to previous years. We continue. Perikid Gimel, Pasigal, at the bottom, page 608. And we move on now to what, uh, what is the bulk of the rest of Parshas Tazriya and Mitzorah, the story of the laws of God spoke to Moshe and his brother Aaron, saying, Adam, ki'yeh, Sapachas, 
if a person will have on their skin his flesh, a se'is, or a sapachas, or a baharas, some kind of lesion, some kind of spiritual skin malady, where does it happen? Vaya or bisaro, on the skin of the flesh, l'neget saras, it is a nega, it is a blemish, it is saras, it's a spiritual malady, it's not a dermatological disease. Vuhuva el ha-kohen, el ha-kohen, he's brought to Aaron the Kohen, o'el ha-chad mi banav or to one of his sons. We'll come back to later, a phenomenal insight of the Tolna Rebbe Shlita, on why this person is brought to the Kohen, then the Kohen goes out to them, the role of the Kohen, we'll come to that later. But I want to focus here on the word Be'or. First of all, why Adam? Why Adam? Adam, Kiye. We have a lot of words for person. We have Ish. We have a lot of words that can describe a person. Why specifically here is it Adam? So there are a lot of offers, a lot of explanations offered. Adam, because when did we become an Adam? When God breathed life into us. And when he breathed life into us, what distinguished us, distinguished us from the animal kingdom, Ruach Memalala, Unklish translates, Vaipach Be'apav Nishmaschaim, God breathed life into us. He made us an animated, living, dynamic being. He made us different. He made us superior to animals. And what made us superior to animals? What made us better or different? What made us different was Ruach Memalala. He gave us the power of speech. When we utilize our power of speech to its fullest, we are an Adam. Mina Adama, we have potential. We are godly and godlike. We are in conversation with God and those around us. We use the power of speech to construct, to build, and to lift up. But if we fail, and why does Tsaras come? Lashanhara. Tsaras is the result of gossip of Lashanhara. Tsaras is the result of abusing that power of speech, forfeiting, corrupting that power of speech. And therefore, the use of the word Adam is a reminder for the original purpose of speech, and we have violated it. We have let it go. But I want to focus not on the word Adam. We've talked about that also in the past. I want to focus on the word Or. If a person has a Tsaras, where? On their skin. On their skin. Listen to this insight of the Svasemis. Magnificent insight of the Svasemes on our Parsha. And I want to read to you the Svasemes inside, the great Gera Rebbe. Svasemes is Adam Kiyeh Be'or Besaro. Ki achar chet Adam kasav vayas kutnos or. After man fails, God deposits man and woman in the Garden of Eden and says, enjoy, eskizunt, unlimited shmor, great buffet. You don't have to work and you'll never die, and you have no pain in childbirth. So go and enjoy, enjoy my magnificent world. Protect it, safeguard it, keep it, and go and enjoy it. Just one thing. Don't touch, don't eat. Don't eat from the one thing. And what happens? Of course, they can't help and they go get there. And after they sin, they're expelled from the Garden of Eden. They find themselves on the outs. They are kicked out of Gan Eden. All of a sudden, Adam notices and says to Chava, Hey, Chava, did you feel that breeze? All of a sudden, they realize they're naked. They're unclothed. And what happens? God fashions for them leather clothing, a covering of leather. He makes for them a mask. He makes for them a covering. And what is that covering made out of? Or. Skin. Leather. Ayin vav resh is the same root of the word iver, which means a blind person. What happens? In Gan Eden, there was no covering. In Gan Eden, there was no barrier. In Gan Eden, the human being, Adam and Chava, were able to feel and see and perceive and live and be vessels of the light. They felt godliness. They were in touch with the divine, with the infinite. They were connected with it. But then they made a mistake. And now the Sahara poor judgment, the world of temptation was not external to them, represented and reflected by the Nachash, the snake, but rather it became absorbed in them. This became an inner struggle that humanity, that all of us confront and face daily of whether we're going to express our animal instinct or our godly soul. And therefore we now live with, instead of being revealed, now there is a covering, there is an oar. But that covering also makes us blind. We live in blindness. We struggle to know which are the right choices and to make the right choices. The blemishes, says the Svasemes, the negoyim of our life. A nega means a blemish. A nega means the negative consequence of poor choice and behavior. Why does the nega come? That result, that consequence, that accountability, that nega comes because of the or. We have this barrier where we don't see the light. 
we don't feel it, we don't make the right choices. Says this covering, this cloak, this skin, this hide, it has holes. Whenever you have a shell, a barrier, a klipa, a covering, it's perforated. There are holes where the light can come in. So what's a nega? The nega is the covering of the hole. So we're living life. Once we were expelled from Gan Eden, listen carefully, my friends, this is very deep. Sfasem says that when we left Gan Eden, and now we struggle to see, to perceive, to feel, to live the light, we have a covering. We're living with a world of hiddenness. God is not revealed, but God is hidden. There's a covering, there's a cloak, there's a barrier, but there's a, there are holes. That cloak, that covering, that ore, that skin, there are, it's perforated. There are holes where the light can come through. Unless we make mistakes and live a life in which there is a nega, there is a blemish or a covering that blocks the hole, so now no light can come through. Why? Because on the or, on the iver, on the blind, we are living as if we are blind. Covers it up, it closes it up, it seals it off. So the goal, the purpose of the nega is to heal us. And that's why one suffers from a lesion, a blemish, a spiritual skin disease. You don't go to the doctor. You don't make an appointment with a dermatologist. Where do you go? Who do you see? A kohen. I understand why the solution is the coin. I understand why to heal, to recover, you need to go to the coin. Aaron is, after all, the paradigm, the quintessential example of Oiv Shalom, Verodev Shalom. He knew how to live the light. He knew how to pursue peace and promote peace, teach Torah, live Torah. But why go to the coin to diagnose the problem? I understand you go to the coin to get the recovery, to heal. But why to diagnose? Velotov Ainu Yivurach. Rak. Because the answer is the diagnosing of the problem is the solution. Diagnosing the challenge, realizing you've made a poor decision, bad judgment, realizing that you're living a life that you're blocking the hole and you're blocking the light that is in itself part of the solution. Part of the solution. Svasemis, we don't have more time, but the Svasemis goes on to continue to describe all the process of Tsaras, the diagnosis as well as the process of rehabilitation and healing, all reflects the spiritual malady of poor choices that block the holes of the ore of the light. But it's not a coincidence here that it's Adam Kia Bi'or Bisaro. It's not that Adam Kia Bisaro. It's not when you have a nega on your flesh, because this is not skin deep, it's not something dermatological. It's rather, where is the nega really appearing? Bi'or Bisaro, says the Sfasemis. The use of the word Adam should remind you of Adam Arishon. Be'or should remind you what happened when he was expelled, exiled from Gan Eden, and when he now began a world of struggle. Be'or, either we are blind, we have blind spots, we are blind to our weaknesses, and we are blind to our temptation, we are blind to our mistakes, and nevertheless we have access to the light unless we block it off with a nega, and the answer is to attach ourselves to spiritual guides, to attach ourselves to the Kohen who can help us find our way out. The Heilige Rebbe, Rebbe Limanach of Lezhensk, points on this Pasuk. Adam Kiyeh Be'or B'Sarau. We identify three different things. Se'is, Sapachas, Obaheres. Those are the three types of blemishes. And of course, Chazal explain what the difference, how we translate them are. Se'is is a whiteness, a natural wool. Baheres is the color of snow. Sapachas is some new category, a subdivision. What exactly they look like, the discolorations. It needs the expertise of the of the Kohen. But the Heligar Belimelch of Lezhinsk, the great Noam Elimelch, says that these three words, there are three things that block us from elevating, three things that block us from being the best version of ourselves, three behaviors that block us from being the best of who we can be and from elevating as high as we can go. And what are they? He says they're hinted to, they're alluded to, in these three words, the three descriptions we have. Seis is midas hisnas us. Seis nasi. Who is the nasi? The president. The nasi is the prince. 
A nasi is a position of distinction, of prominence, of honor, of glory. Seis comes from arrogance. Seis is kasher adam ga'am The arrogant person thinks they have arrived. They are complete. They are superior. They are better. The arrogant person. They have no one from whom to learn. They think that they are entirely and utterly in control. And therefore, Hashem strikes them. It's as simple as a little seis. A little blemish, a little blister, a little seis because of his nasus. The first spiritual malady, the first mistake that will result in the physical, in the physical uh, manifestation, seis, his nasus, when we are arrogant, when we uh, see ourselves as superior when we think we're in a position of prominence. Number two, sapachas. The word sapachas comes from his tabchus, his chabrus ra. His tabchus means attaching and connecting yourself to bad friends, to bad people, to a bad chevra. As the Mishnah says, har roim osim, that if you attach yourself to poor influences, negative peer pressure, we are the product of our surroundings. And therefore the sapachas reminds us that as noble as we want to be, as great as our aspiration and ambition, when we hang out with negative influence, then they compromise us, they corrupt us. And therefore the second type of malady that reflects what was a poor choice spiritually is the sapachas. And lastly, thirdly, says the Heiliger of Noam Elimelech, Elimelech of Lezhinsk, Baheres. What is Baheres? The word Bahir means to see, to see clearly. Person who says, I have all the answers. It's all clear to me. I understand everything. I know, I understand, I have all the answers. Everything comes simple. So these three midos, these three character flaws, lead to skin flaws and blemishes. Nega beor bisaro. And what's the answer? What is the antidote? Vuhuva el Aaron hakoin. Bring to Aaron so that we can correct and repair the seis, sapachas, and baharas, correct and repair the his nasus, his tabchus, and an attitude of being bahir, that you have all the answers and you have clarity on everything. So, why am I sharing this with you? Beautiful insight of Reveli Melach. But because as we learn Tazriya Mitzori, you might say, it's so strange. It's so unfamiliar. It's so unrelatable. What does it have to do with us? And what does it have to do with our world? And the answer is, only absolutely everything. We still suffer from these same character traits and flaws. We still suffer from these same mistakes. And while it not, might not manifest itself on our skin and in the same procedure, there nevertheless is so much to learn from both the diagnosis as well as the response and the way out. Now what happens? Hafach Lavan. What happens? Hafach Lavan. Perak Gimel, Pasuk Gimel. We've barely started. What are we going to do over here? We're in trouble. If it turns white, the Kohen examines the blemish on the skin of the flesh. And the hair in the blemish turns white. And the appearance, the hue of the blemish is deeper than the skin. It's a sign that it's Saras. And the Kohen sees and the Kohen diagnoses and declares him Tameh. Says Rashi so the Kohen diagnoses, Yomer lo Tameh Ata. The Kohen says, you are impure. Shaseer lavan simen tumah Rashi says, how does the Kohen complete this diagnosis? What in the exam tells the Kohen that the individual is in fact Tameh? And why does Rashi describe it as Xeris sakasiv? Why, what's Xeris Akasav? Xeris Akasav means this is something we learn from the text that doesn't necessarily have a logical explanation. It's something that we learn that we derive from the text itself. So Rav Druk wonders in his Eish Tamid, we're still in this year going through Rav Druk, on Eish Tamid, he says, does this sound normal? Does this sound what you'd expect? That if it's white, the Kohen knows to tell the person, the patient, that they are tummy, that they are impure. Is that the role of white? Normally, isn't it exactly the opposite? Again, for the sake of time, I'll tell it to you outside. Isn't it normally that Pasuk in Yeshayahu that tells us, Im kashanim katsemer yalbinu, Im yadim katola katsemer 
we know the sign, the symbol of holiness, of purity, of cleanliness, of repair, of atonement is white. That's the sign. When something turns white, we wear the white kittel, a chasan, a bride wears a white gown. At the Pesach Seder, we wear white. On Yom Kippur, we wear white. It's the sign of tshuva. White is the sign of purity, of repentance, of repair. In the Beis HaMikdash, the ribbon, the chutashani, would turn from red to white if the people were forgiven. So white is always a sign of purity. White is a sign of repair and of, of improvement. Why here is it the opposite? I would think that if the hair is white, then the patient should be tar- pure. Why is it that the, the hair is white? It's the opposite. They are impure. That is the question that Rav Druk wonders. A very compelling question. And maybe that's why Rashi says, Gzeras It goes against what I would think. And therefore, it's illogical. It's only Gzeras I have to derive it and deduce it from the Pasuk, but otherwise it wouldn't make sense to me. However, Rav Druk wants to offer another suggestion. The Gemara in Erechen Daftazayin tells us that one of the reasons that Saras is visited upon a person, one of the reasons that they are struck with this malady is Tsaras Ayin. She'eno Tsara B'chavero. Umitoch zeh yifko bo v'yigram l'chavero bush u'chlim ma'at she'ishtanu pano v'yedeze. When a person is jealous of another, when a person can't forgive another, when a person can't be happy for somebody, is stingy with the joy or success of the other person. And therefore they're cruel. And therefore they are um, unkind. The Gemara Bab Metziah Nilches tells us, not coincidentally, that how is it, what happens when someone embarrasses someone else publicly? When someone humiliates the other person? How do we describe that? If you embarrass someone else publicly, it is as if you spilled their blood. Why? Because when a person is embarrassed, first the blood rushes to the face, and then the blood drains. And when the blood drains, a person is pale as a white sheet. So perhaps, says Rav Druk, that's why this individual who struck with Tsaras was unkind, was cruel, didn't respect relationships with others, didn't know how to navigate socially, thought that they were better. They were unkind, they were cruel. They embarrassed others. And because they turned, caused others to turn white, therefore when the hair in their nega turns white, that is a sign of their impurity. That is the suggestion of Rav Druk. Perakid Gimel Pasuk Memhei. Moving right along. Art scroll page 616. Chapter 13, verse 45. The person with Taras in whom there is an affliction, his garment shall be torn. You have to tear Kriya. The hair of the head shall be unshorn. You allow the hair to grow long, no haircuts, and cloak himself up to his lips, and he is to call out the Tamei, Tamei Yikra. What is this notion of he is to call out Tamei, Tamei Yikra? He has to warn people. Rashi tells us, what is Tamei? Mashmiya shu Tamei v'yifrosh mimenu. The individual, part of their rehabilitation is they have to call out, I'm impure, I'm Tamei. They're warning, they're cautioning others, stay away. It's contagious. You could become contaminated. And therefore this individual has to wear a kilo, a scarlet letter. They warn people, stay away, I could contaminate you. However, the Gemara Moedkotin Dafei tells us something else. And it's a very, very important lesson. Gemara Moedkotin says, the reason this individual calls out and proclaims, Tamei, Tamei Yikra, the reason they call out and say, I am Tamei, for other people to hear and know, is so that other people will daven for them. You know, there's a big debate or dilemma that people have. Someone's going through a hard time. God forbid somebody's been diagnosed with an illness. God forbid someone's going through a crisis. God forbid someone's going through a painful thing. And often there can be a dilemma. Should I keep this to myself? Is the more noble and righteous thing to suffer in silence? Do I keep this to myself and not burden others, not ask for help from others? Or no, maybe the more people who know, the more will daven for me. And the more people doing mitzvahs davening for me, the greater the merits on my behalf, the better I will be. So here the Gemara Mordkotin Dafhei waves in, weighs in based on our Pasuk. Vitame tame yikra. The individuals in crisis, the individual has been diagnosed with tsara'as, they tell everyone about it. Why? 
because that way others can daven on their behalf. And so you see the Gemara Chazal take a position that if you're going through a difficult time, I'm not telling you have to post it on social media. I'm not telling you you have to violate your own privacy and leave your comfort zone to tell the world. But there's also nothing wrong with not keeping it a secret. Because when you share it with others and they can daven and do things on your behalf, there are more people and there are more merits being earned for you. And then God says, you know, my interaction and my decision for this individual doesn't just impact them. It impacts all the people who are advocating for them. And therefore, it changes the scales. It changes the, the uh, decision. And therefore, it is a merit for the person. So the Gemara concludes, Tame Tame Yikra, from here, that, don't be shy or reluctant or hesitant to tell others what you're going through, because they can dive in for you, and that will be a great merit. But the Shlach Kadosh, Rav Yishaya Levi Harutz, the Shnei Luchos Abris, learns something different from here. Based on the Rambam, the Rambam Hilchos Isurei Bia, in the 19th chapter, the Rambam writes, if you see two families who are fighting, if you see two families who aren't getting along, then you need to know, they may not actually be Jewish. You cannot necessarily rely on the cheskas kashos. You know, somebody moves to town, they start coming to shul, and they say, I'm Jewish. We don't say, prove it. We don't say, we need to see your yichus. We don't say, you need to prove. Right? The, the assumption, the presumption uh, the burden is not on a person to prove their Jewishness. Why is that? The Rambam says, because kol Because if people are living a Jewish lifestyle, if they come and they tell us they're Jewish, we are entitled to believe them. We assume they're telling the truth and we are allowed to marry. The Rambam says the exception is if they're contentious, if they fight, if they're hypercritical of others. If a person is not living with the Jewish character traits we spoke of, but if you're contentious and you're always engaged in conflict and machlokas, if you're sitting in judgment and you're cruel and unkind and dismissive and judgmental of others, then says the Rambam, that might negate the assumption that you are kosher because you're displaying very unkosher characteristics. Says the Shnei Luchos Habris. This psul, what is the psul? What is the... the um, Blemish, what is it that takes away the chazaka if a person is hypercritical of others? Where says the shla, this is alluded to in our pasuk, tame, tame yikra, tame, tame yikra. You know who calls other people tame? A tame themselves. Mishu ba'atzmo tame, noeg lomar alachirim shehem tameim. Tame, tame yikra. Someone who points to others and says, impure, impure, krum, not from enough, not smart enough, not pretty enough, not whatever enough. You know who says that? You know who does that? You know who says, Tameh? Tameh Yikra. The person who themselves is Tameh. The Shlach points to the Gemara Kedushin, Daf Ayin, Kol HaPosel, posel. Anyone who disqualifies someone else, anyone who sits in judgment of someone else, Kol posel is usually bimumo posel, with their own blemish, with their own shortcoming. The hyper-supercritical person, kola posel, usually the person who's calling out someone else, is revealing a lot about themselves. And says the shla, you see this in our parsha, in our pasuk, tamay, person who calls out tamay, oh, that person's impure, tamay yikra. They themselves are often, or usually, the impure person. Okay, that is Tazrio. We move over now to Parshas Mitzora, the second of our Parshas, page 620. Pasuk, base. This is the law of the Mitzora on the day of his purification. He is brought to the Kohen. And I want to share with you Zos Torah Samitzora, a great insight of Rav Druk. A great insight of Rav Druk. I'm skipping some great insights of Rav Druk. We don't have time for them all. They're wonderful. The Magician Vayikra says the following. Amr Bishub and Levi, Chamesh Toros Ksubos B'Mitzora. In Parshas Mitzora, we have the word Torah five times. Zos Toros Negatzaras, Zos Tia Toros HaMitzora, Zos Toros HaSherbo Negatzaras, Zos HaTorah Lachol Negatzaras, Zos Toros HaTzaras. You see five times. Whoever gossips and slanders and violates the gift of the power of speech, they are in violation of the Chumash. And Rav Druk wonders, why not just say, whoever uses the gift and the power of speech to slander and to gossip is in violation of the whole Torah? 
Why do you have to spell it out of Chamishei Chumshei Torah? Of the five books of the Torah, of the five volumes of Torah. Why not just say that if you gossip and slander, then you're not really living Torah. Then you violate all of Torah. Why do you specifically have to say you're violating Chamishei Chumshei Torah? That is the question of Rav Druk on the Medrash. And his answer is, his answer is fantastic. His answer is because the idea that if you gossip and slander, you're violating Torah doesn't just mean you're violating Halacha. It doesn't mean you're violating Torah law or Torah values. It means you are actually violating the Chumash itself. What does that mean you're violating the Chumash? It means from each of the five books of the Chumash, you should have learned a law and a lesson of not slandering or gossiping. But you didn't. If you go ahead and you slander, if you go ahead and you gossip, then you violated the Chumash because you didn't learn the law that you could have seen. You failed to learn the lesson that is, a, that is a jumping off of the pages of each of the five books of Torah. So quickly, where do you see it in Bracious? You see it in Bracious when it comes to the snake, the power of speech. In the book of Bracious, you have Yosef and the brothers, gossip, slander, negative speech. In the book of Shmos, you have Dasam and Aviram. They speak Lashonara about Moshe and Rabbeinu. And then you have uh, Paro listens to Lashonara. In uh, Sefer Vayikra, you have the parashas we're reading now, Tazria and Mitzora, all about the laws of Lashonara and the consequence of Badad Yeshev, the sense of being alone. In Sefer Bamidbar, you have the story of the Maraglim and what we're meant to learn from the Maraglim, that you can't even speak Lashonara about the land of Israel. Miriam, who speaks Lashonara about her brother. In the book of Dvarim, we have the parsha of Motzi Shemra, a man who falsely accuses the woman he married of having practiced infidelity during their betrothal, during their engagement. We have in Sefer Dvarim, Aurah Makareo Beseser, Vamar Kolo Amamein, and Rashi explains, Aurah is on Mesapre Lashon Hara. So I'm sure you can come up with even more examples. And this is a great exercise for your Shabbos table. Tell this Dvar Torah and ask everyone to think of every example they can think of, every lesson we can learn about Lashon Hara from each of the five books of the Torah. So I love this insight of Rav Druk, that when the Medrash says that if you speak Lashon Hara, you're violating Chamishei Chumshei Torah, it doesn't mean you're violating Torah. That's also true. But it could have said you're violating Torah. That's not what it means. What it means is you're violating Chamishei Chumshei Torah. It means that you're violating the very lesson we could have learned from each of the volumes of the, of the Torah. Zos Torah This is the law of the Mitzorah on the day they become pure. V'huva El HaKohen. They are brought to the Kohen. I want to tell you the insight of Rabbi Salavechik and then of the Tolna Rebbe, and that may be all we have time for today, even though I had so much more to tell you. Says Rabbi Salavechik in the Rav Chumash, The Kohen is the key person. The Kohen is both the diagnostician, and the Kohen is also the one who will offer the treatment. The Kohen is key. Writes the Rav, when we explore this parsha, we find a peculiar phenomenon. The Kohen here assumes the role of diagnostician and nurse. Only the Kohen is the right to pronounce the sick person clean or unclean. This is a task that a Kohen would not normally be expected to perform, given the lunch he must have to go to to avoid impurity. We're going to read in the beginning of Parshas Emor, Emor va'amarta lahazar gedolam al-kitanim, the Kohen, both the mature Kohenim as well as the minor Kohenim, all have a special responsibility and obligation to avoid becoming Tameh. They're not allowed to become impure. So wouldn't you think that the Kohen specifically who has to be, who has to preserve their sense of purity, why would they be the one going outside to visit the one who's impure? Why is this job assigned to the Kohen? Furthermore, there are many forms of impurity in the Torah. Anyone with the required knowledge can help with the purification. Take anybody else. Take a Yisrael. Take a Yisrael who's not obligated to protect and preserve their purity. Let them learn what they're to look for. And then let them go out and be the diagnostician and the nurse. Yet, Saras is assigned only to the Kohen. And the question is why? Says Rabbi Salavechik, let us analyze the situation of the Betzor and the treatment of the leprosy in the biblical times. The phobia related to leprosy in olden times is similar to the phobia of modern malignancy. The greatest fear was the fear of discovery. One took sick 
and the outward symptoms caused others to suspect he had leprosy. Immediately, the sick man lost his human dignity. He became isolated from the community. People were afraid to associate with him or even greet him. He was often killed or at the very least driven out of town. From time to time, he was offered a meager supply of food, thrown to him like food is thrown to a dog. He was treated harshly for the sin of having contracted the disease. That is the way the leper was treated. What is the Jewish approach? The first thing the Torah demands is to bring the Kohen. The leper was thus instantly removed from mob psychosis. The Kohen diagnosed and pronounced the Tumas Saras, but the leper was not subsequently cut off from society. He was in communication with the Kohen as one of the heads of the community. In fact, the Metorah could request being seen by the Kohen Gadol himself, a man who was not permitted to attend the funeral of his own closest relatives. Yet, if summoned, the Kohen Gadol had to go to the leper. The Torah legislated to prevent the loss of human dignity. The coin went with the leper outside the camp to demonstrate that he was his friend. The leper was isolated from everyone except the leaders of the camp of Israel, who must do everything possible to heal him and to bring him back to society. The coin assured the man, you are needed, you will get well, you will return to society. The coin acts for the needs of the people. The message of Parshas Metzorah, writes Rav Soloveitchik, is that even someone who holds the exalted office of kahuna must not abandon his fellow Jew. He must have compassion for everyone, even someone as dangerously ill as the leper. Not only the Kohen, but the prophet as well is charged with the role of being a friend. Prophet had to deliver the word of God, but was also charged with the mission of helping individual man, of being a nursing father to the people of Israel. Moshe himself said, for the people come to me to seek God. Compassion is the essential attribute a spiritual leader of Kalal Yisrael. What a beautiful insight of the role of the Kohen, understanding it in the context of history and so on. The Tolna Rebbe says similarly. He says that the Kohen who spends his life in the sacred domain of the Beis Amikdash, dealing with Karbonus, is the one the Torah commands to lower himself and to get involved in all the matters related to Tzaras. The Torah emphasizes this point by instructing that when a person has Vuhuva el Aaron Kohen or Achabi Banav Kohen, when you have this discoloration, when you discover this malady, then you are brought to Aaron. Rather than simply require the person to come to the Kohen, the Torah requires him to come to Aaron or one of his sons, emphasizing that the greatest Kohen are the ones who have to descend from their lofty heights of sanctity to work with the Mitzorah, who's fallen to the lowest depths of impurity. And what's more, in the beginning of the process, the, the individual approaches the Kohen, but by the end, the Mitzorah is forced to live outside the city, that's part of the rehabilitation. They have to live alone, isolated by themselves. They have to know what it was like, the way they made others feel. And now, the Kohen has to leave the Beis HaMikdash, leave a place of purity and holiness, and go out to a leper camp. Go out to where the sick person who's stricken with the severest form of impurity is. The Torah not only requires the Kohen to leave the sacred, serene environs of the Mikdash to work with the Mitzorah, but the Torah requires that the Kohen has to do so joyfully. Pasuk says, Kohen, min And the Psikta Zutrisa, in a different context, in Parshas Balak, comments that when you see the word vihine, the word vihine connotes joy. And we learn from here that the Kohen has to feel such a level of closeness to the Mitzorah such an affection that he experiences a genuine joy over the fact that the individual with Tsaras is cured. So he's leaving his office. He's leaving the security of the Beis HaMikdash. He's leaving the environment of holiness and sanctity. And he has to go out to where the leper is. And he has to do so joyfully, not begrudgingly, but happily. So says the Tolna Rebbe, what do you see from here? The situation of Tsaras is when the coin's love for every Jew is most manifest. The love doesn't come to the fore during normal times when everything's going smoothly, when the Kohen has the luxury of sitting in the glory of the Beis HaMikdash. But rather, it's michutz lemachaneh. You know, there are individuals in our time, there are people who feel spiritually or physically michutz lemachaneh. They feel rejected or distanced from the Jewish community. And that is a time when the Jewish leaders need to not wipe their hands. But that's when Jewish leaders need to get involved the most. And whether it's an aguna who feels abandoned, or whether it's someone who's so-called is off the derech or exploring their own derech, who feels there's no room in the Orthodox community. Our responsibility and our roles as leaders, as the koanim of a community, is to go michutz l'machane vihine and to do so with joy and to do so with tremendous and powerful love. Tremendous and powerful love. That is the responsibility. These are the moments where the love most shine the brightest. And that's what the Tolna Rebbe concludes. 
He says, although today we don't have Mitzvahim, we have many lost souls, and we have to try to go bring them back, invite them in, make space where they're comfortable, heal them, and make them feel ready and healthy to rejoin. And the way to do that is our willingness to go Michutz Lamachana. You can't just stay in the ivory tower of the base medrash. You can't stay in the ivory tower of the shul. But we have to be willing to go out and to find them wherever they are. What a powerful message. What a powerful Parsha perspective for our time. There was so much more to say. But Baruch Hashem, we will read Tazriya Matzorah again next year and pick it up from there. Thank you again to our sponsors. If you'd like to sponsor, again, you're encouraged. Email lee at brsonline.org. lee at brsonline.org. Please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel. You'll be notified in real time every time we learn tonight behind the bima. We're going behind the bima with a very special prominent guest. Very excited, very much looking forward. Bob Kraft, the owner, owner of the New England Patriots. Great supporter of Israel, great Baltzdaka. Tonight, 9 p.m. Join us then. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and stay holy.